Welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. We've been telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics all across the world since 2015. And we have over a thousand years of living with T1D on the podcast. The interviews range from incredible feats to everyday victories, and we celebrate them all just the same. Thanks for listening. And if you want to get involved even further, just send me an email at rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We're telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics from all across the world. Uh, My very special guest this afternoon is Craig Rowan calling from LA. Craig, welcome to the show. Thank you for having having me from LA, aka La La Land. And I I hear, you know, at least based on what people are saying on Instagram, so you never know if it's true, LA is just on fire right now, just super figuratively and literally. Yeah, about 15 minutes drive from me, um, it is in flames, so I'm not going to go right over there right yeah. now. Um, it's It's been very hot, and fire happens sometimes. L.A. is just not what it seems, I guess. You know, it's just sad. <laughs> it's, it's a city of broken dreams and um, things in flames. I knew it. Uh, well, uh, thank you for taking the time from fighting the fire uh, to, to talk to us today. Um, so a little bit of background on how this interview happened, just like a cool synchronicity of worlds. So a lot of listeners know that I do improv here in the Dallas area. And among that improv community, there are about five type one diabetics who uh, we all sort of have like our own little message group on Facebook. Uh, so we not only do dumb improv bits, uh, but also dumb diabetes bits. So it's really great and healthy. Uh, but Craig uh, is a frequent uh, contributor, I guess, guest co-host of uh, Improv for Humans, uh, the podcast with Matt Besser. Um, and a few of my friends were listening to a very recent episode, which we will link to in the show notes, uh, where Craig talks about getting diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Yeah, it was uh, – I forget the way that the show works. It's like um, listeners uh, through Twitter ask questions to the guests I forget what it was about, but maybe it was about being stubborn or something. But um, yeah, it easily segued into my uh, my exciting story of getting type one diabetes. So I was uh, eager to share it. Yeah, and I think you. It's been fairly recent. I guess really in the last a little bit over a year, if I'm not mistaken. Actually, well, I don't know when this is coming out, but it's in the next. Two or three weeks, it will be. I'll be having my one-year anniversary coming up. Oh, cool. So, very excited to um, celebrate that in a healthy fashion. <laughs> do you have any ideas of how you're going to do that? Well, weirdly enough, I'm going to be. Um, my wife and I are going to Japan, and um, that will be our last night in Japan. So, I think we'll probably have. Uh, hopefully, we'll have some strange uh interesting type of ice cream or something that's nice. my that's my I'm, ice cream is my um it's my solace it's i i can't give it up so i i i one scoop about two ounces does me good and doesn't go make my levels go crazy so i'm hoping to enjoy that there also you should never have no one should have to give up ice cream that's just a oh exactly exactly no no never never uh, I was actually in Japan, I guess, about two years ago, 
Um, and one of my kind of crazy low blood sugar stories happened. And then like at the same time was this very delightful sort of reminder of like being in the modern world is pretty awesome. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Japan before, but uh, no, no, I haven't. Well, it's one of my favorite places and I'm, I'm excited that you're going, you're going to have an awesome time. No, pretty much no matter where you're going. Um, I was in Kyoto for the day and there's this temple, um, at the Inari station and it's got like all these arches and it's like the number one tourist destination in Japan. So it's very crowded and a lot of people there, but mm -hmm. it's amazing. Like this is like two mile, like archway path up a mountain, basically a small mountain. And I was like hiking all day and like really booking it because I was just, I was alone in Japan. So I'm a type of person that just tries to overbook myself. Just it's how I like to operate. Right. And, so I was just going from one thing to another to another and doing a ton of walking. I think I walked like 18 miles a day, which is way too much for vacation. Oh, my God. That's a lot. <laughs> but but it can happen easily. So uh, be beware of that while you're there. But uh, so I was going up and down this hill, and I like started to feel a little bit like sweaty and like I was having a low blood sugar. And so I test my blood sugar. I'm on the top of this like very ancient temple that's like 10,000 years old. It's beautiful. All the architecture is still like original. And I'm reading all this amazing, inspiring stuff about how they built it. But at the top, my blood sugar was like 40. So oh, I'm like, yeah. oh, no, I'm in trouble. But then I turn as I get up to this landing, and there's a brand new Coca-Cola machine just right there. At the top. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is this is consumerism at its best and worst because I you know, can eat something up here, and I'll be fine. Uh, but also at the top of this temple where people are like carrying these little burning things to make sacrifices, there's also a Coke machine. You can't escape. Uh, you can't escape Coca-Cola, no matter where you are in the world. It's so true. So but uh, for that's me, awesome for me. In that moment, I was uh, I was grateful for it. So uh, that's awesome. That that makes me feel good because one of the this is the first big trip I've done. Uh, I mean, I've traveled within the United States, but this is the first international trip uh, since I've been diagnosed with diabetes type one. So I'm, you know, just being slightly precautious, extra, you know, bringing extra sort of everything and uh but it's it's good to know that i'll be in you know it's it's the modern world it'll be it'll be fine yeah it is and i think you know a lot of people especially people who've grown up with type one or uh you know and, and didn't have a chance to maybe travel before they were diagnosed kind of have this fear of well what if and and you can um you can get in that mindset where fear sort of paralyzes you from doing things um and so it's good. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're taking that on. I think you know you have those choices right after you're diagnosed or within those first few months. Like how how am I going to continue to live my life with this new development? Um, and I'm a huge believer in like continuing to do the things that you're passionate about and want to do because they're there for you as long as you just take the right steps. Totally. No, that's a good. Definitely a good way to look at it. For sure. So you uh, you were diagnosed a little bit later in your life than. Uh, than, than most people, and I'll say this like with a caveat, like than most people think when they think about type one diabetes. Yes, yeah, definitely. So yeah, I, yeah, walk us through that. Yeah, so I'm 33 now, so I was 32 when it happened, and um, I was, yeah, I just like <laughs> over the course of a month, I was I was writing for a TV show at the time. And um, it was sort of towards the end of the writing process and the room sort of got smaller and smaller just because um, 
not as many people were needed at towards the end. And I was in the room and I was telling the other people that I was working with, I was like, I am, I'm so dehydrated. Like for like three weeks, I was just like, I am insanely dehydrated. It's crazy. And I was going to the bathroom quite a lot to urinate. I'll say it. I hope you can say the word urinate on a podcast. Yeah. Um, We've got the explicit uh, tag. So you can say urinate. All right. Then I'll even go. I'll go for as far to say I had to pee pee a lot, and um, it was just like driving me crazy. I couldn't quite understand it, and I was getting and I was just super tired. And um, my wife was like, "What's going on? You know, you're 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 waking up um, like a lot in the middle of the night. Are you okay?" And I'm very stubborn, and my wife is slightly uh, a little bit of a hypochondriac so and now i listen i i (laughs) I used to take everything with a grain of salt but now i'm like oh you're right about everything um (laughs) but uh so we went away for a weekend um and we're staying at a hotel and i weighed myself on the scale and by the way the whole weekend we were like sort of just hanging by a pool and i was just exhausted i could barely like get up and super sluggish and I was like fiending for sweet drinks and uh, I weighed myself in the hotel room and I weighed it said I weighed 20 pounds less than I normally weigh and um and I uh, people had said I was looking skinnier than usual but that's usually people sort of say that in a positive way so I wasn't like (laughs) worried and um and my wife, Meryl, was like, oh, my God, like, you lost 20 pounds. And I wasn't doing anything differently di- dietary-wise or exercise-wise. And I was like, I mean, this is how stubborn and dumb I was. I was like, this scale is obviously broken. Because <laughs> um, like, I, don't, I don't weigh myself a lot. Now I do. I do very regularly. Um, but uh, I was just like, now the scale's broken. And, um, but I'll make a doctor's appointment and I made a doctor's appointment when I got back and, um, my wife was like, I think you have type one diabetes. And I was like, there's no way I have type one diabetes. She's like, I'm looking at it online. Like you have all the symptoms. And I was like, no, like nobody in my family has it. It just doesn't make any sense. And I went to the doctor and she was even like, and this, I sort of, don't I don't go to this doctor anymore (laughs) the doctor was like um like I don't think you have diabetes but we'll do the tests and everything and um and then she called me back like three hours later was like go to the ER right now um you have type 1 diabetes and I think my uh blood sugar level was over 300 um, I don't remember the exact number went to the ER and was just sort of there all night, got some, you know, insulin and got, I forget what, what the pills are called that they give you to sort of, uh, I don't take them anymore, but they um, gave me some pill. Might be like pill. metformin or something like that. Yeah, it was met- metformin to level me out for the next couple of days. But I was so stupid. Like, I was like, all right, I've got type one diabetes. Like, you know, obviously it was a big deal, but I like was there to like four in the morning and still was like, I'm going to go to work today. And then everybody was like, wait, what? You have type one diabetes. You're in the ER till 4am. Like, just go, just go home. Um, and yeah, that was basically 
the how I found out, and it was very um, exciting in not the most fun way, um, and it was definitely scary and just you know like a lot of like wait what like you know it doesn't run in the family. This is a weird age, at least from what I've heard to get this, what sort of what's going on. And, um, yeah, that, that's, that's the story. That's how it happened. Well, and, and it's kind of weird too, right? Like three things sort of jump out at me. Number one, and this ha- this happens with basically every diagnosis is that the symptoms are just kind of heightened versions of normal things. So, like, you're a little bit tired, which is easy to do. You know, you overwork or whatever. Uh, right. Dehydrated, like, yeah, you know, you can get dehydrated pretty easily. Um, you know, you're going to the bathroom a little bit more frequently, but then sometimes that feels like, you know, it's just a normal thing. And it's easy to justify those things. Absolutely. But then, like, uh, you go to the doctor, and, like, the doctor's, like, pretty confident, right? Like, you don't have diabetes. Like, come on. And then... And then three hours later, it's like, hey, remember that thing I said? Um, you should go to the hospital right away because you definitely have it. Yeah, yeah. So, and then, and then I guess that brings me to my next point is like, you know, you're after you get insulin. I remember when I went into, like, I was pretty devastated. I got diagnosed at an urgent care. So it was like New Year's Day. So we went to urgent care. And then, like, the 20-minute drive from urgent care to the hospital was, like, tr- super traumatizing. I was 16. I thought my whole life was over. And then we get to the emergency room and they give me some insulin and I was like, oh, holy shit, I feel way better. Right. Like right away. And they like gave me a bunch of saline bags. I like basically gained all my weight back and got my blood sugar right in half an hour and was like, okay, cool. Now what? So like you get that immediate feedback of like feeling better. And like you said, you know, it's 4 a.m. even in the emergency room, but you're like, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to go to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> basically. And then, you know, it was like, um, like to find a doctor, you know, uh, for the diabetes, like I, they, they gave me a recommendation for a doctor, uh, the, this, do- uh, the original doctor physician and I called them and they're like, Oh yeah, this was in September. Like, okay. The first, um, the first appointment we have open is like Jan- mid January. <laughs> and I was like, um, okay. Well, this is sort of an emergency. Um, like, this is, I need this to happen now. She's like, well, can you explain? I was like, okay, I was diagnosed with diabetes yesterday. I need medicine to deal with the diabetes. And she's like, okay, but I don't quite understand what the emergency. And I was just like, oh, my God, oh, my God. But we ended up finding a great doctor, and I was able to meet with him like five days later. And those five days, I was like, you know, just still exhausted. And it was, you know, it was, it was definitely scary and just sort of like, Oh man, what, what's the, what's the future going to look like? It was, um, and then once meeting with the doctor and the nutritionist that I got hooked up with was much more like, all right, this will be, this will be livable and not terrifying the entire, the entire time. So, and, and I, I guess I've talked to now like uh, on the podcast alone, like 75 or so type ones from all over the world, all different ages. Those first moments after you were diagnosed are like the most important based, or in terms of the decisions that you make and like the emotions that you attach to the diagnosis and like how you, you know, set up your life like going forward. Yes. So for you, you like got diagnosed, you're like, you have diabetes, cool, let's fix it. But then 
couldn't get on couldn't get in with the doctor they recommended so i had to find another one and then even in those five days like that's a long time to spend inside your head sort of wondering right yeah it was interesting like yeah because i don't know why but we basically my wife helped do a lot of research and we're just trying to figure out like okay what do i eat like what's my diet gonna look like from now on and what am i gonna be eating until i have this meet these meetings um and like now I can ease, find stuff easier online, um, but I was like, "Oh, I'm never gonna be able to have bread again." Like that's what <laughs> one of the, like that's what we sort of like got from it, but obviously that's not true. Um, and so I was just like, "Okay, I guess I'm not gonna eat bread." And then we just like found a mishmash of like sort of incorrect stuff or just like not quite right. And I just remember that week being like, oh my God, like I'm just going to be eating weird shit for the rest of my life. This sort of is terrible. Well, well um, you, you kind of fall into that like Mayo Clinic trap where yes, every, yes, everything exactly. that you search is just the worst possible outcome. You know, like if you, if you eat bread, you have 24 hours to live. Like, you know, it's, right. there's no middle ground. Um, and I think when we when we jump off the the interview, I'll give you a couple if you still haven't found them. There's a couple of really good resources and and uh, like actual real life uh, advice from diabetics because I think the challenge is there's so like there's whatever a million and a half type ones living in the U.S. and the advice that they give you on day one in the hospital is super unlivable. It's just like to teach you the regimen. Right, and so it's like th- then, like the amount of time you spend away from that, you start to like really live with it and like adapt it to your lifestyle. And it's like, hey, like he's, a- I know they said this; these are the rules, but you know, this is how you'll actually live with it. And I think it's hard to be like quote unquote giving advice because you're you're not. I'm not a medical professional or like a nutritionist, and sure, I think sure. a lot of other type ones talk about that as well because. But they are someone living with the disease and like living in quote unquote thriving, which is the way that like JDRF talks about it. So you go and you say, all right, well, your doctor's going to tell you one thing and they're not wrong, but also you're a person. So it's that kind of weird lens that you have to look at it through. Yeah. And that's one of the things my doctor, who's great, Dr. Shadi Abdelnoor, I'll give him a shout out um, at Cedar sinai but um, he was like, you know, just in terms of like figuring out what levels are going to work, he was like, you know, how much insulin to take. You know, he gave me the guidelines and we, you know, met a lot when I first started doing it. But he's like, in the end, like when you're going out to dinner and all this stuff, like I'm not going to know what you're eating. You're going to know what's best for you. Like, so, you know, start trusting yourself. And I think that that's even, you know, I'm only one year in, so – like I am still sort of dipping my toe back into eating certain foods just because I've been worried about like high highs um, sometimes. But I'm as the months go on, I'm just becoming more and more comfortable. You know, at first I was, you know, following the my nutritionist's diet to a T, and I still am in certain ways, but now I'm like, oh, nothing's gonna, wrong is going to happen, you know, nothing bad is going to happen if I stray from this a little bit or, or you know, a lot once in a while. Um, that's just realistic. Like, you can't, you can't do it by the book every single day. And, and that's like the toughest, I think, double-edged <laughs> sword with, like, with type one, because 
even like the drastic symptoms like you got diagnosed and they're like okay we're like we fixed you go home like you've been diagnosed and you still didn't even have like all the tools to make yourself like 100 percent well but they're oh, like, yeah. they like well you're not gonna die in five days so let's just like let this you know go on so it's always like a weird thing because you know, I, I find the better my control is, like, the more I notice, even, like, a blood sugar that's, like, 200 or, like, a little bit in the high, like, 190s sometimes, like, mm-hmm. and I'll feel bad or I'll start to feel sluggish or, like, my stomach will get upset or something, and I'm like, man, like, I know that there are people, a lot of people who have, like, average blood sugars this high, and they don't even know that they, sure. they don't even know they're diagnosed yet, so they don't even know that they're feeling as bad, like, that they could feel better, and that's a challenge because you know, you want those people to have as much education as possible and you feel like, Hey, this is a devastating disease, but it's still, you know, it's not the, there's no like sense of urgency, I guess. I, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling on this, but it's an idea that I've have like some, the sense of urgency of a, of a nurse or a doctor is like, Oh, well they know you're not going to immediate, you're not in any grave danger. Like, yes. Yeah. You, they don't need to like triple bypass your heart immediately or you're going to die. So they kind of are a little bit more blase with it maybe. Totally, totally. I, I I feel you, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I've heard I've heard them say. It. <laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit about like adjusting. You know, once you once you felt better, and I imagine that like a- after you got with your doctor and got your regimen all set, like you felt much better than you had for probably a few weeks. Um, how did your your everyday life? And I think as you were talking about uh, talking about getting diagnosed with type one on Improv for Humans, like your interactions with your peers and like other people who were like, Oh, I didn't know you get diabetes when you were 32, 31. Um, and like, what, what has that been like? Well, it's interesting. I feel like there, so it took me like three months, um, of like working on the numbers with my endocrinologist and my nutritionist just to get, see, first of all, I think my, I was in the honeymoon phase until probably this past month. Um, so now I'm sort of relearning my numbers again, which has been sort of frustrating, but now I'm sort of uh, back on top of it, which feels good. Um, but the first three months were sort of just trying to get my numbers level. So, and that was basically, uh, I wasn't allowed to do much exercise or anything. So I feel like the thir- first three months were just like learning what this actually looks like to take these medications, um, what it f- is going to be like to eat just a healthier diet, which I um, set out to do in general and which I've kept doing. And then once those three months were up and I was given the okay to start exercising, I made that a part of my life, which it it has been like in the, I live in LA now. I've lived here for the past two years. Before that I lived in Brooklyn and I would swim like three or four times a week, but it wasn't sort of high in, te- you know, cardio. Right. Um, but after I was given the okay to exercise, I started running uh, or jogging. I'm not like fast <laughs> or anything, <laughs> but uh, I started jogging like three or four times a week and I've kept that up for the past um however many months it is since January. And, um, yeah, it's, so I, I really like my lifestyle 
for the positive has totally changed since I've got been diagnosed with diabetes in a much healthier way. Like, even though I am dipping my toe into eating like more normally or being more confident eating things that are outside of the diet I've been sort of suggested, um, I've really been eating much healthier uh, and exercising much more than I ever had. And it's interesting. It just is like, I feel like being diagnosed with diabetes sort of really has helped me be a healthier person, which I think is, you know, I I decided like when I got diabetes, I was like, I'm not going to let this mess up my life and I'll take it as a sign to just be healthier in general. So that's been a real big, it's been a huge thing in my life really. Well, and I think, you know, they, uh, however many, you know, corny Pinterest style quotes I can feed, feed this conversation, right? Like, you know, life is 90% how you react to whatever happened, 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react or whatever other Yogi Berra style quote. Right. But right. Right. I mean, it, it, it is a lot about like your success with the, with a chronic illness because it doesn't go away. Like there is no, there's no cure currently. There's a lot of great treatment options, but like you said, you know, now you have a heightened level of awareness, like a new lens on your health that maybe you wouldn't have had before. So, you know, you'll never be able to say, well, if I hadn't got diabetes, I would have been down this road. But now that you have it, you know, making the best of it, I think that's um, a like really, you know, admirable and courageous because I think there's a lot of it's easy to go down the road of of negative thinking, you know, and, and be and feel kind of afraid. And we talked a little bit about, you know, getting paralyzed by fear in those first few moments. But, you know, becoming a sort of type A, type one and saying, hey, I'm going to own this and, you know, make the best of what I've got. Yeah, no, it's it's been an interesting experience. And I know, like, I, I, I feel like some people I know, I work with someone who has type one since they were a, a kid and he doesn't really talk about it. And I actually didn't know he had it until um, I was diagnosed. And he's been actually a, a really good resource and very good to talk to about stuff. But he doesn't like he never I never knew. And, right. you know, we've been we've been out to eat before. And I've always thought, oh, he's eating differently or more conservatively than I do when I go out to eat. So I was always like, but he never said anything. And I was like, and that's his way of doing it, which is totally right for him but i was like you know i feel like i've sort of owned it in a way um like i'm totally willing uh, like happy to talk to people about it and it's funny like uh, another friend of mine i've got two friends who became adult type 1 diabetics in the last like one in the last six months which is crazy and then one like five or six years ago and she was also very helpful when i was diagnosed and um like I just think every time I find someone else, which it hasn't been that many, but it's just like I like being able to talk about it and being sort of open about it too. It's um, I, f- I feel like not that people there's a, a stigma to it, but um, I want to treat it like a positive thing, sort of. Well, and I think it's cool. And this, you know, I was very much like your your friend that you mentioned. For years, I didn't really talk about it because I didn't want people to treat me differently. Um, right. And it wasn't because I was embarrassed of it. And if people talked to me about it, I would talk to them. But I was not very outgoing about it. And uh, 
since I changed that, because uh, you know you kind of have to be when you start a diabetes podcast. Uh, so, yes, obviously. Um, but since then, I think like just the relationships that I've made built like quickly. It's amazing how like having something like this in common with someone can instantly give you like credibility and just like the feeling that somebody knows what you're going through is just really it's really strong i i don't know it's it seems it seems like that should go without saying but experiencing it like the other day i ran into a guy there's a guy that works in my building who um one of my coworkers saw his like pump cable his like pump tubing and was like hey like that guy is a type one and like mentioned it a couple weeks and a couple weeks go by and i never saw him when i was with her and then she pointed him out and i just like walked over and talked to him which totally blew my coworker's mind she's like why would you ever introduce yourself to a stranger this is a strange <laughs> world but just like right off the bat instantly you kind of get past that like oh hey how's it going like uh you know how happy monday you just like oh yeah hey i have a pump uh, and that person's like oh nice like do you eat at this place you know what do you you know how right you right right you just like get right to that really good like meaningful sort of connection conversation yeah no absolutely i mean i was at work once and was uh doing insulin in the bathroom. I still use um, whatever insulin pens. I haven't gotten the pump yet. I I will probably uh, at the beginning of next year. But um, I was giving myself a shot, and some guy walked in the bathroom while I was doing it. He was like, oh, me too, man. Me too. And we we talked about it, and he was telling me about, like, how high his high was when he got diagnosed and everything. And, yeah, I was just like, oh, that's cool. Now it's like um, those guys who ride Harleys, and they, like, wave at each other when they pass or whatever. But um, this is diabetes, not Harley Davidson. <laughs> right, like they wear super badass vests and we make puns about diabetes. E- it's great. Exactly, exactly. That's what we do. <laughs> and we're, and, uh, man, I, I will give a shout out to every person with some sort of diabetes pun-related account. You are the bravest people I've ever met. So. Right, and also if you have a Harley Davidson, let me just give a shout out to that machine and that the that like that company you know what i mean yeah you gotta just gotta give some love to diabetes to harley harley diabetes whatever harley diabetes the foundation of american engineering right exactly Uh, great so uh craig i do want to talk a little bit a little bit more about you kind of even life before diabetes because um despite what, what you may say you are a very interesting guy uh so do some casual Googling, um, you know, have a Saturday morning with with your, you know, Earl Grey tea, sit on the couch and pull up Google. Craig Rowan, uh-huh. you're, you're going to find uh, back when you were in New York, uh, a little YouTube challenge that you put out to some very wealthy individuals. Uh, do, you, uh, yes. uh, do you uh, do you know what I'm talking about? And uh, would you give us a little background? Sure, I, I do. And if I didn't, I'd probably have early onset alzheimer's or brain damage um because i remember seven years ago when i was just a wee lad and um yeah it's uh, i made a video called please give me one million dollars and um it was saying to millionaires um you have millions and millions of dollars give me one of your millions of dollars because you can and 
uh, like I don't necessarily deserve it, but I'm asking for it. Like, what's the big deal? Like you, it's like if you had $10 and you gave someone $1, but this is like, you have $10 million. Actually, I probably, I would assume it would be someone over $100 million would give me $1 million. But I asked people like Bill Gates and, um, Jada Pinkett Smith and, you know, um, Mike Naismith from the monkeys and his mom who invented white out, um, which is a true fact wow, to give I, me a million dollars. That might be the most interesting fact of this entire podcast. We'll oh yeah. That's definitely going to be when listeners hear this, they'll be, that's going to be the thing that they bring home for okay, sure. Good. 100%. 100%. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I made a couple of these videos, uh, sort of tongue in cheek as they say. And, um, and then I announced that I was getting a million dollars from a millionaire named Benjamin and I did a live show at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York City where I performed um, and uh, and did like a whole extravaganza. Um, Matthew Lesko, the question mark guy from late night television. Who I don't know if that's an East Coast thing, but he's the guy who like can like find you tax break. I don't know what his job is. He's just a crazy guy that yells and wears question mark money suits. Um and uh, comedians like Hannibal Burris and uh, and a bunch of other things that I, I gave out a five thousand dollar gift certificate to Applebee's or Chili's, and um, which you'll find out if that was real or not in a minute. And then I got the check from a millionaire, and then I exploded it into nothingness and revealed that it was all a joke. And the the millionaire was this um, actor that we found, me and my friends found, and it was um, what they call a silly little comedy thing that ended up being on like German television and Anderson Cooper. I mean, when I announced that I was getting a million dollars, it was like a somehow became world news. Um, yeah, and- I, think, I think that's the like it was either Ellen or Anderson Cooper, or some like very authoritative daytime television. Yes. Source. Yeah. Anderson Cooper did it. Um, th- it was on the third, the third page of the Daily News. Um, I was on Japanese television. I was on Australian television. I was even on Canadian television, a little country you might have heard of. And um, yeah, it was insane. It was the craziest thing ever. And um, yeah, it was it was uh, slightly nightmarish slash paranoia inducing three weeks of my life and um and then it ended in a spectacular insane way that was uh very fun but terrifying well i will say i mean not to not to spoil this podcast but you know for those who don't listen like you could still they're still in question whether you got the money or not so i mean somewhere someone somewhere is doing their job in terms of scrubbing the internet from all answers i mean listen i'm not gonna say you know I'll leave it at that. Um, but I'll also say that if someone gave me a million dollars, they'd be pretty stupid. Right. <laughs> but I'll also say there are tons of stupid people. But I'll also say to be a multi-million dollar mayor, you might have to be smart. The but assumption I'll also say, would be, right. The assumption, but I also say there are a lot of people that just make money from you know inheritance. But I'll also say that those people might have a leg up on other people. But I'll also say so. You see where you can go with this, right? 
where on I'm, and on where and I'm on. going with it is did Harley Davidson write that check for you and sponsor yes. every podcast episode you'd ever appear on from the, now to the end of time? Yeah, the character Harley Davidson from Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man, which is a very good movie. Um, he wrote me a check. I knew it. I actually might. I might have to IMDb that right now because that is a movie that I've seen. But why did that exist? It's still, still in question. And I think, um, obviously, like, <laughs> uh, you know, commit commitment to the bit aside. Um, your your life obviously is, is is dedicated now to and your career is dedicated to comedy what is it like as a yes. sort of shifting back into the focus of, of this podcast um sure for as a type one and like late comedy late nights uh long writing hours like yeah performance travel what what has been uh, either challenges or like things that you can you know uh, stories that you would tell from behind the scenes of like oh yeah i uh, had to hit craft services for a couple pops uh, because totally. i was feeling low totally um i will answer that but i'll first say harley davidson the marlboro man is a 1991 film starring mickey rourke and don johnson um basically i had to say it but no you, um no you know really... by the way that movie sounds i've never seen it but Mickey Rourke and Don Johnson, I would I would watch in basically anything, so it has to be great. Yeah, it's very, very good. It's one of the top five movies ever. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I will stake my life, my career on it. But, um, yeah, it's been really interesting. Well, <clears throat> I – so it, it's two-pronged is my um, – basically, a, a lot of the stuff I do um, for work is writing in writing writer's rooms. Um, so that's one thing. And, um, for that, you know, a lot of time, you know, writer's rooms are definitely not conducive to healthy eating. Um, and a lot of writer's rooms, um, order in food. Uh, so when doing that, I'll just try to order stuff either sort of on the healthier side or make sure the breads are something like sourdough or, you know, whole wheat that that's just easier on on me, my blood sugar. Um, and so, and, and, and then I just bring healthy snacks throughout the day and I'm addicted to Akma crackers, uh, AK space MAK. Um, and always bring those as a snack. That's sort of my, like, um, my thing just to keep my blood sugar level good when I'm, you know, in between meals and stuff that and some cheese or almonds. Um, and, so the writer's room, it, it, it's a challenge just, just sort of to see everybody eat like popcorn and not that I can't have that, but like, um, but it's, it's very doable, but I also act, um, and I, I, um, shoot this show in Atlanta that I act in called your pretty face is going to hell. And, um, I'm just trying to think of the timeline of when. So this summer, I shot that show, and I was also did this pilot um, that I acted in for Comedy Central in Austin, and it was the first time that I um, was going to really be on. I'd visited sets for my writing jobs, but the first time that I was really going to be, you know, sort of up and active most of the day, or sitting and waiting a lot of the day, also. Um, but having to deal with craft services and 
one of the things I did beforehand was talk to the producers and make sure that they could sort of accommodate me, which I was a little bit like, I don't know. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to sound like a diva or anything. Sure. Um, and I asked for like, you know, everything needs to be, you know, whatever quinoa. But <laughs> at the, at the same time, like I just, when you're on set for 12 hours and you're working, um, a lot, you don't, I also don't want to just get in the habit of eating like barbecue chicken or whatever, every meal. And, you know, I, I had sort of, by the time I had shot these shows had gotten into a routine that I knew would work for me, especially for breakfast. Like I eat, basically eat a very similar breakfast every morning, which, um, I've, I change up, but also like I sort of gotten used to and don't mind it eating like shredded wheat with, uh, strawberries or blueberries, uh, 0% Fage Greek yogurt with, with, um, with, uh, what's it called? Strawberries or blueberries or raspberries and 1% milk. And that's just sort of like my breakfast and I've gotten used to it and I like it. And I sort of just was like, there needs to be that so I can start my day right and not be right. worried about at least that thing. Like, you know, and, and both of the shows were very accommodating. Um, and then I also realized like, you know, I was traveling and I was in these other cities and I also wanted to go out to eat and not be super worried. So, you know, I experimented a little bit, but tried to stay as close to, um, my diet as possible and then the big, big thing was um, probably like a month before I went on these jobs, I got um, a Dexcom uh, continuous glucose monitor. And that um, was like a total life changer. That like really made traveling, took out an element of, I assume people on the podcast have talked about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Dexcom. Uh, yeah, we're, I think we're, you can assume almost every, the bulk of my, of the listeners of this podcast either. No, uh, everything. They, yeah. They, they've got, they've, they've got a bead on, on the, on the pulse of type one yes. life. So like the Dexcom just sort of like any time I just have my phone, like, you know, have the app on my iPhone, keep my iPhone in my pocket during the shoot. And if in between shots, if I was like sort of worried because it's been however long between meals, um, I just look at my phone and either be like, all right, I'm going to have a little snack or all right, I'm, I should be good for another, you know, however an hour or so. And that definitely took out an element of like, oh my God, I'm going to be away for a full month uh, in two different cities, sort of at you know, the whims of other, a lot of different elements and craft services. And, you know, sometimes craft services just means like Twinkies and, um, you know, like hostess cupcakes. So, um, try to avoid that as much as possible. And the Dexcom really was like a total life changer. So, uh, I don't, I don't have a Dexcom or a CGM currently. Mm -hmm. I've never had one. I tried one back in like 2010, before uh even i think the g4 was out so it wasn't mm -hmm. a Dexcom; it was like a medtronic one that went with my pump uh and it just didn't really work with my lifestyle and i was playing right. a lot, playing a lot more basketball back then so it just wouldn't stay on me um but i'm currently working with both medtronic and dexcom right now trying to figure out uh what the what my treatment method is going to be for cgm going forward and i'm really excited 
mostly because like I want to be able to check my blood sugar on my phone, and I feel like you know if I can, yeah. if I'm flying to Japan and log on, and I can get on the internet from my phone and watch YouTube videos of people asking millionaires for money. <laughs> 30,000 feet above the air, I should be able to at least see what my blood sugar is uh, in a meeting without having to prick my blood, prick my finger and, you know, it, take all my sticks it, out. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I also, after getting diagnosed, I also treated myself as a diabetes present to an Apple watch. Um, so I can, like, just check it on the watch, you know, because it's, like, connected to the phone app. Right. And it's it's just, like... It's really nice. It's just like makes things much easier. And though I, I've noticed that I basically I there was a mix up with Dexcom. I don't really know if it was my fault or not, but or their fault. But I was a week without Dexcom like a week or two ago, and I sort of realized, you know, I could live. Obviously, I can live without the can, the CGM. But um, I realized I was checking my blood glucose level so much because I just could. Right. And now my thing is like after a week without it, remi- remembering like it's okay if I don't look for a couple hours. Like I, I sort of got so used to the idea that I just could look at it anytime I wanted that I don't really need to. Like it has these alerts on it if I'm going super high or, you know, I, I set like an alert if it's below 80, just so I know when I'm getting near a low and an alert, um, that's 220, which I should be able to get tighter, uh, like a, an alert more like a 200. But, um, but even though I have those alerts, I, I sort of look at it way too much. So now my new goal is sort of just going with the flow a little bit and not, not over, over relying on it um sort of finding that middle ground yeah and i think that's where you know on one hand i think it's this is i I really do believe this is the best time if there is such a thing to have type 1 diabetes because of technology like dexcom and other continuous glucose monitors and like medtronic has a closed loop pump system now yeah where um which i'm you know fingers crossed really hoping i can try out here in the next few months um and so it's like, you know, as you can rely on technology, but I think about four years ago, um, my pump just like went out on me. It, like, I think it got a little bit wet or something and uh, malfunctioned and Medtronic will um, FedEx you instantly as part of your warranty, a new one if something breaks. But this happened on like a Friday night at like nine o'clock. So right. you can't overnight FedEx, you know, there's a, there's a certain time window and they don't deliver on Sunday. So... You know, I was like, okay, well, I was without my pump for you know a little bit over 48 hours, uh, and I just remembered, I panicked a little bit at first, and you kind of get over that, and then you, and then you're like, okay, well, I can do this. Let me just go get some syringes. I have my insulin, and it's you, just, you go back to the Stone Age a little bit, as it as it were, but it's really not that bad. And I think that's you know really if you can have that attitude with whatever it is you're dealing with with your type one. Um, you know, you're, you're better, you're better off because of it. And, you know, you're at least your mental health as well will, uh, be a little bit more gently cared for. Yeah. 100%. It's good to know, like, even like, as long as you have, you can test yourself, uh, like you'll be fine. And, uh, 
Like even if not, like I, I'm not at the level. Like I can feel when I'm going low. Low. I'm not like as in touch with my body yet to know when I'm feeling high. I'm hoping I'll get to that point, but like, it's okay. And as you said before, like, I don't know, I was living a month with <laughs> diabetes where I was just fatigued for like a full month, like, and I somehow survived. So like, you know, it's okay. It'll happen. Like, but you know, it, it can get scary, but like, you'll be okay in the end. Right, right. You're like, you don't even know you have diabetes and you've had it for six weeks and you're like, oh, I thought I was just peeing a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Craig, I wanted to. I asked this question to all my guests. Um, and sure. I, and I think, um, as somebody who you know, I really I love your outlook on on dealing with diabetes and kind of rolling with it, uh, and it, you know, still enjoying it and having fun. If you were, I got I got to paint the context for you here a little bit. Um, okay. So imagine like you're in an airport and they're about to shut your gate, like the door to your gate, in like 30 seconds. Uh, and you can't, okay. and you can't miss the flight. That's the, that's the context. Like you've got to be on this next flight. Like little Debbie's having a craft services table and you got to be there. Um, okay. but you run into somebody who's either been recently diagnosed or is struggling with their type one. Um, and you have that 30 seconds. What do you, what do you say to them? Who? Okay. That's a great question. What airline am I taking? Um, well, just to be safe on your side, just to not put you in any immediate danger, let's put you on American Airlines. American Airlines, and where am I going? Uh, you are going to Atlanta, where there is a Little Debbie convention. Okay. <laughs> um, and you are the keynote speaker. Okay. Um, that makes it totally different. <laughs> Let I me hope see. so. Um, cause I, in my head, I was going to like a uh, 25 year retrospective on the Harley Davidson and Marlboro man movie. Um, but I would say, let me think. Well, if that's the case, then maybe the alternate, like the alternate route we could go is that you're the host for the table read for the sequel. Uh, to oh, nice. 25 the years Harley, later. It would be Harley Davidson and the Marlboro man and Mr. Peanut. Right. That's the sequel. Um, I would say, I, you know, I, I just, it's just like, it gets much easier. Like it just gets easier as time goes on and like, it seems really big and like, I don't know, diabetes, when you hear the word, you just think like. Like the first joke is like, I'm going to lose my foot or something, right. um, which is really scary. Um, and <laughs> it's just like, it just gets easier. And it's like, I literally, like I actually am living a healthier life than I've ever. And, and not in a way where I feel like I'm trying to be a health guru or, um, you know, it's like I'm wearing it on my sleeve that I'm healthy it's just like you can use it to your advantage and 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 sort of make the best of it and and my nutritionist said like which i one of the first times i met her and i thought it was just so great it was like really if you're smart about smart about it and do a good job like you might live 7 years longer than you would have otherwise and you know that's like I don't know why seven years. Maybe I just made that part up exactly <laughs> number seven. But like, 
you can live a really long, healthy, great life, and and it's not like you're hindered. You're, it, you know, it, it just it's just another element of your life, and and it, it can be a positive. I think that's, you know, not the most. I didn't say in the most graceful way, but um, but yeah, that's what I'd say. And then I'd be like, like I need to go on this plane, dude. Like, stop asking me about diabetes. Like, can't you see? I really, really need to get on this plane. I'm very important. Please don't hinder my keynote or my Yeah, like, exactly. Like, seriously, like, chill out. And also, how did you know I have diabetes? Like, what's your deal? Right. Also, Harley Davidson and the Marmalade Man 2 in theaters (laughs) this Christmas. 2020. 2020. Uh, So please don't miss that. Yeah, I would definitely do some promos for whatever I'm working on at the time. That's essential. It's a central part of it. Uh, yeah. Craig, man, thank you so much for the time. I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show uh, and, and making this happen. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And um, it's awesome Like to – I was just looking at your guys' Instagram, and um, like, it's cool to see people – like to see people living with the same thing, doing cool stuff. So I, I really appreciate it. Well, uh, we're happy to do it. It's, uh, it's my favorite thing to see, you know, people that I didn't know otherwise and get to meet. Uh, it's, it's a fun little thing that I've discovered. Awesome community. Um, yeah. So Craig, uh, for, for those of us who want to hear more bits about, uh, the future of Harley Davidson and, um, and the Marble Man, you know, see where that sequel goes. Uh, where can they find you uh, online? Sure, um, Craig Rowan on Twitter, uh, R O W I N is the last name, and Craig Rowan on Instagram if they want to do that. And then, um, yeah, that's like where you'll see what what the the newness is, what what's coming up that, on my docket. The new, that new hotness, the new new. The new new, and I definitely will be doing a spec script for um, Marlboro Man um, and Mr. Peanut. Well, looking forward to it. Please toss me any sort of uh, guest ancillary. Oh, cast, yeah, definitely. Uh, need to just walk on. Well, definitely, definitely let you uh, audition for Mr. Peanut. I can't promise anything, but. Hey, just to be considered uh, is an honor, so I'll you know, do my best. Uh, but Craig, thanks again, uh, and uh, we will include all links to your social media in the show notes, and uh, we'll keep an eye on uh, what new cool things that you have going on. Awesome, and I'll just say this, type one, number one, baby.